I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. You know I've been talking about earned media value for quite some time on this podcast. My friends at Eisenberg have just raised the bar on earned media benchmarks with their social index. Social Index now gives you globally earned media values across a growing list of six geographies for all your KPIs across the top seven social platforms, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Snapchat, TikTok, Twitter, and YouTube. You can now visualize these values for deeper analysis, and they have a look-back window over two years of historical comparisons. Social Index is updated daily. Don't get stuck with old data. Over 1,000 companies have used the social index to understand the ROI of their social campaigns. And if you work with a social agency, you should demand they incorporate earned media values into your reports. Get your earned media value for social content. Visit earnedmediavalues.com slash Allen. Again, that's earnedmediavalues.com slash A-L-A-N. For all of us, it's about predicting where the consumer is going and getting half of it right. One of the things we want to do is create ads that don't suck. Embracing change creates great possibility. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today on the show, I've got Jim Liskey, Executive Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at CarMax as well as Shamim Mohammed, Senior Vice President and Chief Information Officer at CarMax. CarMax is the U.S.'s largest retailer of used vehicles. While Jim leads all the marketing activities at CarMax, as well as product functions, Shamim leads information technology and the data infrastructure behind those activities. These two guys are well-documented in terms of their collaboration, their teamwork, the ways that they're adapting and adopting agile and lean methodologies to run their businesses and drive collaboration among their teams. What we do today is we go a little deeper in terms of where those disagreements are, how they manage through those conflicts, how do they tackle talent development in an ever-increasing agile environment, and how do they plan for the long term? We find out today that both of these guys are from very humble beginnings very different beginnings, but very humble beginnings. And I think it plays out in terms of the trust that they put into each other, as well as their fellow executive team members and the teams themselves that they lead every day. I hope you enjoy today's show with Jim Liskey and Shamim Mohammed from CarMax. Well, welcome to the show, guys. Thank you, Alan. We're uh, looking forward to uh, the conversation. Thanks for having us. 
That's great. Well, let's start off. Your relationship has been well documented, I would say, and we'll get to that in a few minutes. But I thought it would be fun to start off and just get to know each of you as people a little bit. Where'd you guys grow up? And did you always see yourselves where you are today as CIO and CMO of CarMax? Yeah, I'll start because mine's pretty mundane compared to Shamim's exotic past. So I grew up in Portland, Oregon on a farm, a raspberry and strawberry farm. And I had no idea that there were even corporate jobs. I just thought, you know, go to work every morning and uh, work all day and go home and have dinner. And so I had no idea that I would end up anywhere similar to where I am right now. So I was uh, actually born and raised in a small village in Bangladesh. So interesting thing about that place was there was no electricity, there was no running water, and no television. So growing up there, it was very hard to imagine that I would be in my current role. However, but I did know that someday I'll be doing something very different. Because most of my friends that I used to play with, their goal was to join their family's farm and basically spend the rest of their lives in the village. Uh, obviously, I didn't do that. So when I was uh, in middle school, we ended up moving to the city, and I became fascinated by science and technology. And that's when I decided to come to the U.S. and get go to college. And then over the last 20-some years, uh, I've been very much fascinated by technology and how technology can drive transformation and innovation. That's what I've been focused on. That's what got me to where I am today. That's great. So I'm curious, since you guys do work so well together, did you have brothers growing up? I am the oldest of four, and uh, the other three are all women. So, no. (laughs) It's much like me. But yeah, go ahead, Shameem. Did you have brothers growing up? Yeah, so I'm the oldest of four as well. However, I do have a brother who is the youngest in the family. Interesting. Interesting. All right. Well, like I said earlier, your your relationship and partnership's been well documented, whether it's CMO.com or CIO magazine. And you've talked a lot about how you work together, but I'm curious, how do you resolve conflict when it comes up? It has to come up, I'm imagining. Yeah, look, we believe that uh, good, healthy conflict is actually uh, productive for the both our relationship and the organization because it really gives the company an opportunity to listen to two competing views. We argue passionately for what we believe, but the way we end up resolving the conflict is first, we both have the same objective. We have a unifying metric here, and that is to either sell more cars or buy more cars. And we're very aligned on that. But uh, when we have different views on how to approach that objective, we you know, air it out, listen, and one of us may change his mind. But if not, we sit down and talk with the rest of the senior team. And whatever the decision is, we salute and go and get the job done after that decision. So I would just add to that, you know, having a very open and collaborative culture at CarMax makes it easier to deal with the conflict, like uh, Jim mentioned. We frequently meet, we have, you know, we discuss different topics, uh, we're regularly interacting on various issues. So all those things make it extremely easy whenever we have a major conflict that we have to discuss because it's, you know, in most cases, it's not a surprise to any of us. So that also makes it easier because uh, nobody's getting blindsided on any, any critical issues. Interesting. Well, I know CIO and CMOs are, they need to be working together, but 
I thought it'd be interesting to see, well, what do you not collaborate on? Yeah, you know, there's actually quite a bit that we don't collaborate on. We, of course, have many things that we intersect, but we both have accountabilities that the other just basically takes a hands-off approach. So in my sense, I'm accountable for PR as an example. I'm accountable for producing our creative, whether that's commercials or digital ads. I'm accountable for the marketing strategy and all of those things Shamim's aware of, but I don't really go seek his input. If he does have strong beliefs or thoughts on anything, I'm more than happy to listen, but I'll ignore him and what I want to do anyway. <laughs> so just like Jim, I have obviously the responsibility to support and run you know, a company with 25,000 people. So all the technology, the infrastructure, the platforms, everything has to run efficiently and flawlessly. So that's a big part of my responsibility. But there are a lot of stuff that we do do intersect and we work together and collaborate on those things. That's great. Well, you're known for uh, having adopted the agile method of working and agile is great at really moving the ball forward on kind of what I would traditionally know as like kind of broken down or small tasks, partly a part of a bigger project. But how do you manage the big change that takes time or things that are hard to break down into sprints? Let's see. I would say that agile really works better on the bigger problems. It sounds like it only works on the little problems, but the beauty of the agile methodology is it takes risks out of the system. So what you do is you run little experiments, you know, sometimes those last a sprint, maybe a couple sprints. A sprint in our case is about two weeks. You run this experiment by putting out some minimally viable product, and we call that an MVP. So you put an MVP out, you get it in front of the consumer, you see what the consumer does, and then you pull that insight forward to develop the next round and you keep running these sprints. And so by the time you get towards the end of the finish line, you know this thing's going to work. You know there's going to be a receptive market for this versus the waterfall methodology. You have no idea. You hope and pray and you did a lot of research <laughs> on the front end, but you're going to release something via the waterfall in a big bang environment. And the risk is incredibly high versus when we roll something out for national launch, the agile methodology, we already know what the answer is going to be. We already can start booking the performance on our balance sheet. I don't know if you want to add anything, Shami. Yeah, that's uh, exactly right, Jim. So as a company, we have adopted Agile. And Agile initiatives and our product method is not just specific to the work that we're doing in marketing or IT or anything else. It's really that as a company, even non-technical areas, we're applying a lot of the Agile practices for the same reasons that Jim has mentioned. Now, one thing I would like to highlight is at CarMax, we're doing Agile, but in some parts, we're also doing something called dual-track Agile. Right. This whole this uh, going going back to this whole test and learn mindset. So our product teams they use roll track agile, where they have a discovery track and they also have a delivery track. So discovery track is where they're testing and learning a lot of new ideas and concepts with the customers, and based on the response of the customers, then we are actually making them a real offering to the customers. So see, this dual track agile takes the agile to a whole different level in terms of innovation and speed and just coming up with different ways to exceed the customer expectation. Right. Can you explain, I'm not as familiar with dual track. Can you explain just a little bit more how that works? 
Yeah. So I think I'll give you an example of yeah, be great. a couple of products that we did. So we did a uh, online finance pre-approval product. And so we set up the team in the dual track methodology. And basically, here's what how it goes. We go out and do discovery. So we take a minimally viable product, a prototype. Sometimes it's just a concept on a piece of paper. And we get it in front of the consumer. We see how the consumer behaves. We feed that insight into the development team. So you have the development team, largely the engineers, sometimes you know, with some other associates engaged, and they are coding whatever elements of the product that we have the new insight on. And while they're doing that, we're running the next experiment that's going to be used to provide insight into their next sprint. And so it's an overlapping sprint track that continuously feeds what's going on. And then the insight doesn't just flow from discovery to development. Sometimes in development, we run into issues and opportunities that we feed back up into the discovery team, and they go out and test those and get that those concepts in front of the consumer. So it's two separate tracks that are intertwined at numerous points along the journey. Did I describe that well enough for you to understand? Yeah, yeah. No, it's fascinating. It actually helps me think about new applications for Agile. I didn't know that there was such a thing as a dual track. That's interesting. Yeah. So telling on that one, basically, so again, we, we've taken uh, Agile to a whole different level. It's really because our focus around product orientation, right? This is how we organized our teams, how uh, our folks work. And, and this uh, dual track Agile is one of the fundamental ways these product teams operate. And by doing this, we've been able to accelerate innovation even more. Right. So that's been a big win for us. Well, so walk me through and Jim, you did a little bit of this already, but walk me through a team, you know, how it's designed, who's on it, how the objective is created. How long does it live for? Maybe something that you're both your teams are working on together. Well, every product team has both of our teams engaged. So I'll give you a visual and a little bit of an example. So view a product team as a atom. So in the middle, you have this nucleus. The nucleus is always comprised a lead developer, a product manager, and a lead designer or a UX designer. Every one of our product teams has those three at the nucleus. And then view the electrons flying around the outside as kind of form follows function. So if it's a product that is really engaged with the field, like our stores, we'll bring in somebody with field expertise. If it's a financing product, we'll bring in financing expertise. We'll bring in multiple developers if there's a lot of coding that needs to be done to drive the product to market. We'll bring in marketing communications. We'll bring in data scientists if it's a database-driven product. And so all of that varies in very much a form follows function type of approach. So that's the general construct of the team. One thing I want to make sure you understand, though, is these teams are durable. So unlike project teams, like let's get the project done and disband the team, these teams stay together for the long run. And they're durable for a couple of reasons. One is it allows us to get out early prototypes, early iterations, because the team doesn't feel like they have to put out the perfect solution. They can keep putting out iterations of a product and see the improvement. So 
once a product launches now, since they are durable, they can continuously look at how to improve that product for whatever metrics that it's driving towards. These teams are very autonomous. They, as leaders, Shamim and I tell them why they exist, and we tell them what the objective is. We do not tell them how. So if you think back at like a Simon Sinek and how he describes that, the whole power of why, we make sure they understand the why, we make sure they understand the objective, but we give them complete freedom to figure out the methodology to get to that objective. And so those are like the major kind of component parts of a team. And Shami, I don't know if the elements I might have forgotten here. I think uh, Jim did a very good job at describing product teams and how they work. I mean, one of the big thing is the work that these products teams do are highly visible and transparent. And we encourage them to take chances and learn. So, and the visibility is not just you know, within the peers, it's actually with the senior executive team. So every couple of weeks, the product teams have open houses. Jim, myself, our other executive leadership team, we attend those regularly. And we get to listen to what the team has learned, how they're approaching their objectives and key results, what approach they're taking to achieving the goals. So all those things that we have tremendous visibility. So a company of our size, having that level of visibility and transparency into the work that our teams are doing and our innovation is really, really rare, but at the same time, very exciting for us to see that. That's fascinating. I appreciate all the examples. I think it'll be extremely helpful to listeners. I want to change gears a little bit. You're focused ex- you know, heavily on customer experience. How would you, you know, suggest other C-suite leaders, whether they're you know, more technical, functionally, or more marketing, and, and maybe those are not great analogies because marketing can be very technical too, but how would you think, tell them to think differently about experience? So customer experience focus really needs to be a part of the company's focus. It needs to be deeply integrated into the company's culture. And everybody in the C-suite needs to be focused around that. So if you, you know, for CarMax as a company, right, we were founded on delivering high integrity, excellent customer experience from the get-go. This is why we exist, so that the experience is really, really awesome. So that we haven't deviated What's happening now is we're continuing to enhance that experience through all the product orientation, through innovative technology, so that we can continue to drive that experience for our customers. And it's a responsibility for everybody in the C-suite, not just the CIO or CMO or COO. That's what I would recommend to other C-suite executives because it needs to be everybody's business to do this, not just one or two executives of the company. Yeah, I think I would just pile on on that thought with a couple additions. One is we're big believers and you can only affect what you measure. And so we measure the experience extensively. So uh, Net Promoter Score is the tool that we use against all different parts of our business. So for example, for people who purchase a car from us, we have a Net Promoter Score that's north of 80, which is world-class. It's as good as the Apple Store. It's as good as Amazon.com. I mean, it's actually better than both of those. And We measure that for selling cars, buying cars, financing cars, our website, et cetera, et cetera. And we build that in into the CEO's scorecard. So how the CEO gets evaluated and compensated from the board of directors. So that's how important it is to us. Then the other thing that we do well and would recommend is walk a mile in your customer's shoes. I mean, we are all customers of our companies. 
And we make frequent trips to the front line, whether the front line is our stores and selling or buying cars or whether the front line is at uh, CarMax Auto Financing and seeing how the financing process takes place. But we are in the field constantly. And I think that also gives you a lot of empathy for where the consumer is at any given time. So those are two other things I'd add to what Shamim already described. Uh, can I just add one more thing to that? Yeah, go for it. The customer focused is so critical, right? That when we are sitting around the table and discussing any initiative, we always make a decision that's going to favor the customer. That's really how significantly important it is for us as a company, as a culture. I like it. I like it. Any suggestions? I want to lay out a scenario. Let's say I'm a, a CMO or a CIO. I've just inherited this role. It's kind of a turnaround situation. The experience we know is bad across lots of touch points. Any advice on how I would prioritize where to start? I know it's kind of a wow, yeah, a hypothetical. First, yeah, <laughs> first I hope they're compensating you well for taking such a job. <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Yeah. Well. I'll tell you how I would start. The way I would start is first, what are the inherent strengths of the company? Like, what does the company do better than its peer set? Or what does it have the potential to do better than its peer sets? Like, what are you really going to differentiate on? That's where I would start. And I would hone that strength significantly. Then I would move to where do you think is the biggest opportunity or unmet need in the marketplace that your peer set isn't delivering? So those would be like a couple starts. I'll give you an example for us. Shami already covered the excellent experience that we provide, but another kind of hidden gem about CarMax is we have a massive data advantage in our industry. We appraise over 2 million cars a year. We know information about those cars, where they end up selling, as an example. We sell over 700,000 cars a year. We have all the information from the consumers who shop us. We have 20 million website visits last month. I mean, all of this data and thinking about, all right, if we have a data advantage, how do I monetize that? And so bringing in a data scientist team, figuring out how to leverage machine learning or artificial intelligence to further drive our business, how to personalize the experience to a degree that's never been seen in our industry. Those are some things in my example that I would look for analogies or similarities in your hypothetical company. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
Okay. And from a CIO perspective, Alan, I would say is that the first thing the CIO needs to do is very quickly get alignment and get the C-suite fully on board with the need for a very sizable or significant transformation for the business. In companies that are probably struggling, one of the major regions might be the technology that have served them well, probably is now becoming an impediment for them for driving right customer experience. So with that focus, they need to really re-platform, they need to organize the teams the right way, and they need to get the whole company behind this massive transformation because that's the only way they can turn things around. Doing the way things have been done repeatedly is not going to give them the success they need. So that would be my advice to the CIO and good luck to him or her. (laughs) Well, thank you both for the examples and and riffing there with me on that hypothetical example. Hopefully it's helpful to folks out there. You know, we've talked about teams. We've talked about the agile process. There's uh, this nucleus, this atom, if you will. I think that's a great visual. You know, how do you think about talent and talent development? getting those folks both upskilled to take on that responsibility and you know, nurture them going forward? Well, I, we view uh, talent like a lot of companies that it is an absolute critical success factor. And we put an extraordinary amount of energy into finding the right talent. We definitely start at cultural fit beyond anything else. We've been a, America's best company to work for, I believe, for 14 years in a row. So you can't do that without just a significant cultural advantage. And we want to make sure that we are doing everything we can to continue that. So that's where we start. Then we look at the kind of like the IQ and attitude of our candidates. Those are two things you can't teach, right? Whatever IQ I come to work with today is probably what I believe in with. And either you're a can-do or can't-do kind of attitude. And so those are two things that we kind of make sure that our associates clear the bar on. Then there's certain roles where you just have to have technical competency, whether that technical competency is within you know, marketing and communications or in information technology, development, programming, et cetera. You have to have some of that. The way we look at it is like analogous to a team, like a basketball team. You don't want five point guards and you don't want five centers and you don't want five power forwards. You need a mix. And the mix is extraordinarily important. And so we make sure that we have those capabilities that are complementary in place. And then lastly, I'd say we spend most of our time on making sure that they know where they're going and why, and then empowering them, as Shami mentioned earlier, to achieve the objective set forth in front of them. So I think uh, Jim covered a lot of the key areas already. Just a couple of more things to add to that. Uh, first of all is the creating an environment where these folks or this talent uh, feel like they're, they can grow and it's safe for them to test and learn and really make a difference. So that's what we've been able to do. By doing that, actually, we've been able to attract talent from local markets, and we've also been able to attract talent from different parts of the country. Because CarMax is doing so much innovative work, and we're using technology and the way we're organized, we've even been able to get talent from Silicon Valley. You know, people move from San Francisco to Richmond, Virginia, to work for CarMax because they felt we're doing a lot of innovative work. So that's really the key. I know that the technology folks, 
they are very driven by their ability to make an impact and innovate. And that's really what we have created at CarMax. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for both of that. I'm curious, has the tight relationship between the two of you influenced your other business partners, you know, either externally or internally? <laughs> Maybe a weird question, but you think anyone's feeling left out? <laughs> I don't think so. I think clearly by the nature of the work we're doing, Jim and I, and actually we have our incoming chief operating officer. The three of us have a lot of daily interactions because our worlds intersect quite frequently and regularly. With other executives of the team, because we are aligned at the highest possible level, the goal, and focus on customer experience, they're actually supporting us in all these efforts. So let's say our chief uh, human resource officer, without her help, we won't be able to get all the talent we need and the changes that we're going through. Our general counsel helping us with all the contracts and vendors and all the stuff that we're doing, we won't be able to do it. So I think there's a, a tight partnership between uh, myself and Jim and Ed Hill, our incoming COO, but also a broader relationship and partnership going on at the C-suite at CarMax and partly because also this is how we operate as a company. This is part of our culture that we, we collaborate. Jim? I, Shamim said, well, I, I don't think anybody's jealous. I think everybody's thankful <laughs> that Shamim takes up so much of my time, they don't have to deal with me. That's, that's probably a more accurate question for you. That's hilarious. That's hilarious. I was curious. I mean, one of the things that comes through is that there's this just baseline level of trust that I think one, I, you two guys operate with of each other, but it sounds like the entire executive team. Do you, any thoughts on how to recreate that in other settings or tips on what makes it so good? Yeah, I'll, that's a really good question. So let me decompose it just a little. We've talked a lot about collaboration. We don't really look at ourselves as a highly collaborative leadership team. We actually look at ourselves as a team. So it's in sports, nobody talks about a team being collaborative. They talk about being winning or excellence or stuff. And that's what we look at ourselves at. We have a unifying metric like a sports team. Theirs is the scoreboard. Ours is sales and earnings. We are highly communicative. And I think that's at the key. And that's something that's probably different from some of the CIO, CMO relationships that exist out there that we basically talk every day and for multiple times every day frequently. And so that communication of where everybody is, what are they doing, what are they working on? And just like a team, we don't all work on the same thing. We don't like sit around collaborating on, on internet or corporate security. I mean, that's we all know Shamim's got it. We support him on it. We trust him. And that trust that you mentioned, that's at the heart of a team versus a high-performing team. And the greater trust that you can pull through between the members of a team, the higher performing they have a chance to be. And I think you see that in sports and you see that in businesses and you see that in almost any other kind of team setting. And the only way you really get that trust is through frequency of interactions and frequency of deliverables that we can count on each other for. So that's the way I would look at it. And uh, I would just add that the trust really comes from the confidence on each other 
and each other's ability to get things done. And also that each other understands our each other's perspective. So what I'm very I feel very fortunate that I have a CMO partner who is very tech savvy. He understands data. He is very intelligent as it relates to leveraging technology to drive marketing uh, effectiveness. And I feel good that I also have a very good solid understanding of marketing. So by understanding each other's needs and where we're coming from, I think it makes it easier for me at least to say, okay, you know, Jim making a recommendation, perhaps that is the best interest of the company and it's the best thing to do. So having that confidence really is very helpful as we make decisions. And the just having that competent people in the leadership roles who have a good track record and who you know have your back is really where the trust comes from. I like it. Well, thank you. Thank you both. So I want to step back from this and we've got a series of questions that I love asking folks just to get to know you as individuals a little bit more. And I love starting off with, you know, is there an experience of your past that either defines or makes up who you are today? You know, Alan, that's a very interesting question. So um, let me reflect on that a little bit. I've been very fortunate coming to where I have been able to come in my career and in life, uh, coming from, you know, this rural village in Bangladesh. But if I look back, a couple of things that probably define me the most. Uh, number one is just because where I came from, it always focuses me on what's possible and surmounting all the seemingly impossible situations, right? So when I came to the U.S., I didn't even speak English. I didn't know a single person. And here I am, uh, very fortunate to work with this amazing group of people in an unbelievably awesome uh, culture, right? So that didn't happen by accident, because I've been able to do that by always focusing on what's possible and going for something that seemed impossible. So that's one thing from a personal perspective, I think that helped. The second thing I would say is my experience working at a company called Travel Click in Chicago was a defining experience for me in my career. Travel Click was in a marketing technology kind of business. I was employee number five, and over the next seven or so years I was there, we grew that company to be over 500, and I had to build everything from ground up. And I was doing that while I was going to grad school. I was getting my MBA in marketing, information management, and entrepreneurship from Kellogg, one of the good schools for marketing. So that experience of working in a startup environment where everybody was doing everything they can to be successful. Great team environment, like Jim has described. We didn't really care who's doing what. We said, okay, we just need to get it done and deliver results for the business and make the company successful. So that mindset, that attitude, that behavior are what I believe I took from that experience the rest of my jobs. And that's what made me who I am today. And this is how I operate here at CarMax, right? Because I'm focused on delivering business results, driving innovation, and I want to challenge the team to come up with a creative solution. I don't believe a lot of the roadblocks. I believe a lot of roadblocks are kind of a, something in our mind. We can really overcome those. So that mindset has really helped. Another thing I think defined from CarMax, I mean, Travel experience was relying, building a solid team and relying on them and making them, positioning them for success, right? So all those characteristics of a startup, successful startup company is what I have ingrained in my leadership style over the years. And that's how, what I'm doing here at CarMax. That's great. Jim? I don't know if there's any singular experience in my past on a personal level. I think you're just a culmination of every little event. And as we mentioned, I grew up with a bunch of sisters, a single mom, and not a lot of luxuries. And I think that you know makes an initial impression upon you. 
And then professionally, I think I had the good fortune to work at FedEx. That was a very much a people-driven company. They put a lot of emphasis on their talent. And I learned how to be a servant leader. And I learned basically that my job was to provide some direction and then give my associates a opportunity to be successful, create a really good environment for them. So I believe that, you know, those would be two examples, but there's literally hundreds of examples. That's great. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What fuels you guys? What drives each of you? So what drives me is solving really complex, hairy problems and overcoming them. That's one thing. And because the reason I like that is because that forces me to think out of the box. It forces me to be creative. It brings out the best in a team to solve those problems. And also, this is how we innovate and we come up with solutions that other nobody else has thought about before. And everybody learns through that experience. So that's what I look for always. What Give me a big problem so I can learn more. Nice. All right. On this one question, Shamim and I are completely aligned. I, <laughs> the harder the problem, the more creative you have to be. And that's the kind of work that we have in front of us. And that's why we really enjoy solving these two things together. I don't know why I thought you would be not aligned on something here. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, you know, stepping back from CarMax, are there brands or companies or or even causes that you follow you think others should take notice of? Yes, I have passion for startup companies. And it's because of my experience at TravelClick. I remember every decision I was making either could have made or broken the company, right? So that was the stake working there. I love that mindset where people are taking ownership, where people are rolling up their sleeves and getting things done and make, you know, making things happen. So this is why I spend a lot of time talking to startup companies. We do something like Carmax called Digital Safari, where we go to the West Coast or other parts of the country. We've been to Boston and a few other places where you go spend focused time with smaller startup innovative companies. There's so much you can learn from it. And we have so much we learn and that we bring back to CarMax and apply it here. A lot of the things we discussed today, the product orientation, the dual track agile, just this innovation mindset, all of those are the ideas that are being employed by very successful startup companies. So that's where I get my inspiration from. That's where I get my good ideas from. I think most companies need to be focused on remaining like and running like a startup company. The moment uh, a company becomes too big to move, too slow to make decisions, then long-term, their future may not be as bright. Yeah, I'm probably on the other end of the spectrum. I I like watching big companies try to evolve and uh, seeing them try to reinvent themselves or enter new markets. And so as an example, I'm fascinated by what CVS is doing. So they gave up a huge revenue stream in selling tobacco products, as an example, a few years ago, because they want to be a health company. Mm-hmm. And then they made a potential acquisition of uh, Aetna, which right. I think that's going to be another reinvention of this company. And then if they bring in some big data, because they have that purchase data and the pharmaceutical data, and they bring in the health side, the insurance data with Aetna, I think they really have a chance to position themselves as a very consumer-friendly, personalized health brand. And that's 
10 years ago, that's not what they were. (laughs) They're selling cigarettes, bubble gum, and sodas. And that would be quite an evolution of a brand. And so brands that are going through that and looking at what the macro trends are in the marketplace and figuring out how they can take their key strengths and leverage those trends, are those are pretty interesting to me. And that's really what we have in front of us. We have a consumer who is eventually going to be doing quite a bit of their car buying process online or e-commerce, and they're going to be looking for trusted partners to be able to deliver that. And that we intend to win that market and leverage off the strengths that we have as, with a great physical footprint, a great consumer experience, a great data advantage, and turn that in to kind of the next generation or the next disruptor in our industry. Like it, like it. Well, last question for you both. What do you think the future of marketing holds or looks like? Shamim, what is the future of marketing? <laughs> I've always <laughs> wanted a CIO to answer that question. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, the future is now, actually, where customers are in the driving seat and they want full control. They want to own their experience and they want companies to make it easy and seamless for them. How you do that is what Jim just mentioned. It's really taking advantage of the data, taking advantage of the information the customer is already sharing with us and using that information to make the customer's experience far, far superior in ways that they customers cannot even imagine, but they know, they feel it when we do it. So that's really the future of marketing. It has to be done through machine learning, done through artificial intelligence, done through effective use of data. I think that's then the companies need to do that effectively to remain successful. And that's the future. Thank you. Yeah, I would, this time, Shamim's probably right again. <laughs> I really think the next tranche of great marketing is going to be, how do you deliver a personalized experience in a way that is going to surprise the consumer. And that's what we intend to do. And I think the big winners in marketing are the ones that could be able to demonstrate that personalization to a degree that's surprising. And that's what the consumer would love right now. And it's probably what they're going to demand within the next few years. Love it. Well, thank you both so much for coming on the show today. Alan, thanks for having us. We really appreciate you listening to our ramblings on this topic. So, <laughs> Thank you, Alan. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity. Now, one thing we, Jim and I do not, are not aligned on, one is the football team we support. <laughs> so he and I have totally different teams and we'll never align on that. Well, I had this image of, so I don't know if you're basketball fans, but I had this image of you two being on the same basketball team where I don't know if, you know, size matchup wise makes sense but jim sounds more like the center of the team and shamim you sound like a small power forward so you know <laughs> there's a lot of passing going on down low and then it sounds like jim most likely kicks out to you for the big shot every once in a while so i thank you both for coming on i appreciate it thank Have you a good day Marketing Today is brought to you by Atomic. Atomic focuses on unleashing the growth potential for clients we serve. Atomic is a strategic consultancy specializing in business, marketing, brand, and innovation. Our singular goal is to help you accelerate your efforts with the right mix of expertise, analysis, and creativity. Check us out at Atomic.com. A-T-O-M-C-K.com. Hi, it's Alan again. Marketing Today was created and produced by me with writing and editing by Kevin Greeley. 
Social media support by Megan Woods. Art and graphic design by Sarah Dell. If you're new to marketing today, please feel free to write us a review on iTunes or your favorite listening platform. Don't forget to subscribe and tell your friends and colleagues about the show. I love to hear from listeners and you can contact me at marketingtodaypodcast.com. There you'll also find complete show notes with links to anything we talk about on any episode. You can also search our archives. I'm Alan Hart, and this is Marketing Today. Today.